Hello, and welcome to another episode of Listen. I'm your host, Rupal Goyle, but you can call me Roops. For those of you who have been around here for a while, <clears throat> this is going to be a little bit different. Usually I only have one guest, and it's me asking questions and going back and forth. But today we have a round table, a nice little podcast panel of eight people, all of my peers, old friends, mentors, colleagues, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear what they have to say today. I'm. This is my um, reminder that I will actually not be editing any of this, so everything you guys hear is coming straight out of their mouth. They're, I'm not even taking out the ums and ahs. I want you to hear every single word as is, so... That is the disclaimer here. Uh, and no kitschy intro music today, sorry. No kitschy outro music. I think I want to put the entire focus on the conversation. So if you're new, <clears throat> welcome to listen. And let's roll. So first I want to touch on everything that's been happening and reiterate that it is not the job of minorities to teach you. It's not the job of minorities to carry the emotional and mental burden to educate their surroundings and peers. So this is a call out post. If you're white or a non-black person of color, you're not supposed to go to your black friends and your minority people of color colleagues or colleagues of color and say, hey, what can I do to educate myself? That's not your role. Because what I have to say to that is Google is free. You can do anything you want on the internet. And so many people, so many creators of color have graciously and kindly put out information and resources compiled for you. So they've already done the legwork when they didn't even need to. And that's exactly what's happening right now on the podcast. Everyone on here, I approached them and I asked them to be on and they very graciously said yes. And we, it is a privilege for us to get to hear their voice. And that is what I want to remind you. So before I get started, just wanted to get everyone, if you want to introduce yourselves, let's go in a little line. Feel like we're going to do some college-level icebreakers, but I want to say your name, your background, and whatever else you're comfortable with. So let's start with, I'll do it because I can see your faces. Uh, I'll go in order of what's on my screen. Brandon? <laughs> oh, awesome. I'm first. Hi, everybody. My name is Brandon Lay. I am from Tryon, Georgia. Uh, if you're interested, you can Google that. It has less than uh, 2,000 people. So, But it was a predominantly white, uh, rural southern town. Um, moved to Atlanta in 2011, and I am an academic advisor here. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Hey, Elta. Hey. Uh, my name is Elta. I grew up in a little town in Maryland called Hagerstown. Uh, there are black people there, but I lived in a super, super white neighborhood. Um, I graduated from Georgia Tech with uh, bachelor's and master's in industrial engineering. Uh, I'm still in the Atlanta area doing supply chain consulting. Um, is that is that it? Yeah, that's cool. good. <laughs> hey, Io. What's up? Hey, Ruble. Hey, hey, hey. Um, it's really uh, an honor to be in this um really amazing group of people. My name is Ayo Ladasami. Um, as far as background goes, uh, my family is Nigerian. So they came over to the United States in 1992. And then I was born in the United States in 96. So I'm Nigerian American. Um, I was born in Boston and we moved around a little bit. And I came to the Metro Atlanta area when I was nine years old. 
and I've been here ever since. So um, I graduated from Georgia Tech about a year ago um, with a degree in economics. And right now I'm working um, as an economic researcher and a planning researcher with the Atlanta Regional Commission. Um, so if you guys are interested or know about city planning at all, that's sort of like, that's my, that's my work right now. Um, and I'm also doing a really cool uh, fellowship program called Lead for America that like, you know, allows recent graduates to, uh, to assume civic leadership roles. Um, so honestly, all the protests and like political movement going on right now is, is really fascinating to see. Um, and yeah, I'm just really happy to be able to talk to you guys about all these big ideas. Awesome. Hey, Jalen. Hello, hello, Rupal. Hello, guys. My name is Jalen Peter, and I am from Marietta, Douglasville, Georgia, two areas. Yep. Um, grew up in those areas, attended Kennesaw State University for my bachelor's, and now working in higher education as an academic assistant um, within our academic advising unit of the College of Business here. Um, and then we'll be starting my master's in international affairs in the fall. So. Nice. Congrats. Thank you, thank you. Hello, Lauren. <laughs> hi, hi everybody. I'm Lauren. Um, I grew up right here in Atlanta, Georgia, so majority black neighborhood. Um, I just recently graduated from tech and, you know, in college, I'm sure all of us have had, you know, some run-ins with racism, discrimination, especially being black and in engineering. So, I kind of got the corporate side of things and like just being a black woman in business, like how hard it is to be to speak up because there, what I didn't, well, I already knew about the stereotypes, but what I didn't realize is that people see you through those stereotypes, not all, but you run into those few that definitely see you as the aggressive, assertive black woman. So it's just stuff like that, that you have to fight and deal with on a daily sometimes. Awesome. Thank you. And Nicole Leonard. Hi, I'm Nicole Leonard. I am an advisor at our university in Atlanta, Georgia. I am from Decatur, which is 30 minutes of Atlanta. So born, raised, educated in Georgia. I have a master's in business and administration, and I also am a certified collective professional coach. So that's just a little bit about me. Thank you. And finally, Trevor. Hey, everyone. My name is Trevor Worthy. I'm also from Marietta, Georgia. Like many others on this podcast, I recently graduated from Georgia Tech. I graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Material Science and Engineering. Um, came back to the States because of the COVID pandemic. Um, but in the fall, I'll be starting my PhD program at Northwestern University up in Chicago. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here. So... With everything that has been happening, it's really fascinating to see movements kick up and kick up and how we're in the middle of one of the biggest, if not the biggest, civil rights movement in history. But something that I've always had conversations about and had difficulty getting through to people on is how we really got here and all the little things that you do that seem insidious <clears throat> that build up into blowing up. And one of those things is microaggressions. So just wanted to kickstart the conversation about what microaggressions are and how we may have experienced them and how to recognize them. Because there's no shame and there's a lot of power in understanding that you might be microaggressive sometimes. 
and you don't even realize it. It's so deeply ingrained in the way you act that sometimes you cannot even pinpoint it. So wanted to start there. Does Let me just read out a definition so everyone understands. Microaggressions are statements, actions, or incidents regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of marginalized groups, such as racial or ethnic minorities. So examples of these are when you ask someone who looks like they're very clearly non-white, so where are you really from? Or one of my favorites, and by favorites, I mean one of the most terrible ones I hear. <laughs> um, you're such a credit to your race. Whoa. Or, wow, you have such good English. It's like, oh, thanks. It was my first language in St. Louis, Missouri. It's like, <laughs> not it's things that people tend to assume, you know, it's, it's things that people do without knowing they're actually being racist. So just wanted to start that. Have any of you faced microaggressions at Georgia Tech or in your lives? And how do you recognize and deal with them? Cool, I'll go first. Um, so, so, like, I'm first-generation American. Neither of my parents were born here, but they moved pretty early on. So, like, they grew up in the United States. And, like, they both busted their asses to get to where they ended up. Like, my mom's a doctor. Uh, my dad had a PhD. Like, so... The point being, they're very educated people, and I'm also a pretty educated person. Like, that's the way my parents raised me and everything. And so, like, it was always so weird, like, growing up, people would always be like, you're so smart, you're so educated, you speak so well, like, you're not really black, you're basically white, you're like an Oreo. And it's like, I, why does yep. being smart have to be a white <laughs> people thing like white you know, supremacy I, I grew up and you know I had my parents to look up to and they were both very smart like they were very good at what they did so it was always like I mean yeah I'm smart and it was always frustrating when people would make it be like you're smart for a black person it's like no I'm smart period like no I'm smarter than all you white people like leave me alone like in, in the 10th grade, I scored the highest on the PSAT in my school, like even yes, higher than all of the 11th graders. Yes, ma'am. That's when you're supposed to take the PSAT. <laughs> and like, my guidance counselor was like still not giving me the credit I deserved. She was a white lady. Um, and I was just like, I'm like one of the smartest people at the school. What do you mean? Like, period. Not one of the smartest black people at the school, just one of the smartest people <laughs> so that was always really frustrating because it was like i'm so smart not for a black person just like in general yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely yeah. Yeah. i know i know for me i attended today um <clears throat> many moons ago before i transferred i think the thing i know right i, I had to leave <laughs> 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 and uh, and this is this is why I left tech. I didn't feel welcomed, and because I didn't feel welcome, my grades suffered. So I was like, let me just exit stage right, because for me, 
and my health, this is not a good thing for me. And I just want people to realize microaggressions can come from anywhere, from any person, even people who've internalized those microaggressions. Like I had one of my friends say, you know, we're only here at Tech because of affirmative action. Yes. yes. And, uh, and I had to take a step back and say, well, I don't know why you're here. I know what I scored on my SATs and what my GPA is and, and what and how what change point and how far from blah 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 I was from my graduating class. So you hear things like that. Oh, you're only here because of blank of a quota, or you're only here because of this. And for me, my time at Georgia Tech, I was the only woman, so a black I was the only black person and the only woman in one of my recitations. Mm-hmm. So you can feel sometimes a subtle exclusion when maybe even group projects come up because you see people immediately make someone's eye and they turn. So mm-hmm. microaggressions aren't just about words, but they're also yeah. about actions. So when mm-hmm. you're not, when you look at someone's smile and they're like, oh no, you're not going to be in my group. And they turn to the other person next to them. So it was different things, different situations that happen. A group I mentioned earlier in her introduction, it's not just one thing, but when yeah. you're subjected to something, it becomes heavier and heavier and heavier until finally that one thing is like, you know what, this is it. I, I had to step away because of the constant hearing of, as Elta said, oh, you're smart for a black girl. Yeah. Or even I've heard like, you're so pretty for, for a black girl, or you're so well-spoken for a black woman, or you're so calm, you're calmer than I thought you would be. So when you consistently, I don't want laughing because because it's like when you consistently hear those things over and over and over and over, you're like, you know what? This is not, this is not for me. This situation right. is not for me. I need to remove myself right now mm-hmm. because I will fight it, but right now I need to to take a step back to center myself and then go forward and fight. So that's mm-hmm. been my experience with microaggressions. Yeah. Um. I had similar experiences that you had. Like, I remember it was like two years ago. I was with my friend and another uh, person in her dorm room. And I don't remember how the conversation started, but she said exactly the same thing. She said, oh, well, it was harder for me to get in because I had to get scholarships. But you got in off of affirmative action. And I was like, no, I got in because I worked hard and did my job. Like, stop connecting me to things that were made because our system is not built <laughs> on justice. Right. So I literally, like, it was a, a calm debate, thank God. It wasn't, like, messy. But I really had to explain to her, I'm like, we wouldn't have things like that if it was done the right way. Mm-hmm. So I need you to understand, like, things like affirmative action or scholarships for, for minorities, they're, they're there. Because it's obvious that you know that there's a problem. And instead of fixing it, you're trying to make alternatives to try to cover it up. Mm-hmm. But that's why you have so many pissed, people pissed off now. It's just been swept under the rug for so long in our system. It's just, mm-hmm. like, you're tired of it. And, like, just kind of like you said, I had another experience where I was in a group. And majority of those people in my group were um, white males. And... Um, that was the first time, like, I realized they have, like, some, not all of them, but some people have this expectation of you, that if you are assertive in your speech, or if you do know what you're talking about, it's seen as intimidation. Mm -hmm. So you get either talked down to, and then 
like it's hard to kind of deal with those things because then you don't want to come across as the angry black as the angry black woman. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've definitely had the same experiences, and I'm pretty sure I'll have more. But it's it's a shame. Yeah. You know, and I, I just want to react <clears throat> what um, everyone's saying. Like, it is it's a cumulative effect, right? Right. You Absolutely. you get all these things that happen to you over the course of a day, a month, or a year, and it just kind of starts to bear down on that person experiencing those things. Um, you know, I, again, like I said, I came from a small town that was mostly white, went to PWIs mm. all my life. So I've heard, it makes me sad to hear that like, younger people are still hearing that, that Oreo statement, or you're smart for a black person, or you're not like this. And like, I'm not even gonna say I need white people to understand. White people, you need to understand that we are not a monolith. We are not all the same. All of us come from different backgrounds. Uh, we have people that immigrated here. We have people that have been here for hundreds of years. Not saying one is better than the other. It's just we don't have the same experience. So, like, for me, working in higher ed, I had the experience of, oh, Brandon, you're black. We're going to go down to Atlanta, and we want you to recruit, like, the urban youth in Atlanta. I was like, oh, great. Code word. I know what that means. <laughs> urban. <laughs> the urban. We're going we're gonna to wheel out our black person and be like, right. tell them how great it is here at the PWI. And I'm right. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's been a journey, and I think everybody is, like, we've been hearing that a lot. Everybody's at different places, but... For me, I've reached a point in my life where I don't want to use, like, I don't want my blackness extracted or, co- like, um, commoditized or, like, used to advantage. It's just interesting that, you know, we don't want to focus on race until it's convenient for certain groups of people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have discomfort around these things, you need to take time. I'm, I'm saying this to the listeners. You need to take time to <clears throat> sit with that. And not put that on a person of color. You don't need to go up and be like, make, insert joke here. Like, hey, Brandon, tell me what it's like growing up in the hood. I'm like, I didn't grow up in the hood. So I, I don't know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, sure. so, so I can't answer that exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> so, like, just take a beat and, like, really look at the things that you say. Like, I don't know, even with gentrification, like, one of my big frustrations is I'll get off and let somebody else occupy space is that people are moving into historically black, black areas mm-hmm. and they're making jokes about the fact that gentrification is occurring. Mm-hmm. This is painful for some people. People are being displaced. It is not a joke for those people that can no longer afford to live in a neighborhood that their parents have grown up in. So like, while I do think that we should be inclusive and have like diverse communities, be respectful when you <laughs> enter into a, a, a space that's different than yours. Take time to learn about the people. So anyway, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I guess to echo similar sentiments I've also heard Oreo statements um, and honestly like I remember writing this on my uh, essay to get into tech Um, Marietta yes we have some black people but I would still say it's predominantly white um, and there's definitely issues of like gentrification and separation and it's a clear disparity on where certain minority groups live versus some more affluent and then more white based areas um middle class background so i've been in some of those more white based areas so a lot of my like primary education for a lot of the advanced classes and everything i was usually one if not the only black person and so like growing up i would internalize a lot of those different stigmas in terms of like Oh, an Oreo or something. And so like the one thing I want to get back to is like when I wrote about my tech experience, it was just like 
being in all those advanced classes, not seeing people that look like me, I was starting to wonder if I was doing something wrong as to, am I ostracizing myself in the black community? Like, why am I not seeing people that look like me in these classes? All I have to interact with are white people. And then, like, some of my other family members, like, Trevor, yeah, you don't hang out with, like, any black people. It's like, I just haven't had any black people to hang out with. My experience has been predominantly shaped by the other races that I've interacted with, and I've never really got to know what a predominantly black experience is like. So back to Brandon's point, it was like, what was it like growing up in the hood? I was like, my hood was, my hood, quote unquote, was filled with white people. I have no idea. It was like, we all have different experiences. And I started to internalize some of those things. And only now am I starting to like, starting to realize that and come out of it and realize you are your own person. You are valid. Your intelligence has nothing to do with your race and how you connect to your race. You can still do those things. I really think mm-hmm. it's important that people like draw that distinction between your race does not mean you have this one particular set of experiences that is just flat across the board. Everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm going to jump off that point there, Trevor, because, well, actually, it's funny. I also grew up in Marietta. Um, so like elementary school through high school. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, what, like 10 years after a lot of those middle school experiences, like I'm reflecting and, and understanding that I didn't have a lot of other black people to sort of index my experience to or to actively become friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, a lot of the time, like I was sort of like the only black person in the room or like the token black friend in a, in a group of, uh, of predominantly white friends. And I think the interesting dynamic here, though, is that, you know, I still made friends and I enjoyed a lot of my middle school and high school experiences. Um, a lot of those things I wouldn't trade for the world. Um, but then you grow up and you're like, oh, I, you know, experienced some comments here and there. Or this person, like, you know, was more rude about this thing than I would have really appreciated or really even expected Mm -hmm. um and you really only realize what you went through when you develop in your own identity and you and you realize um you know the people you want to hang out with or ideas that you want to surround yourself with and it's just like a crazy journey in self-awareness and i think one other layer that i've you know always had to to experience too is um is being nigerian american and what's interesting is that you know i have i have certain theories about sort of like the geography and like the economic history of, of Nigeria and then what that means when you immigrate to the United States. Um, but essentially like, you know, if you have immigrant parents then you know, they're not really messing around with like, you know, what, like how successful you are, or what they perceive as, as success. And so if you're in like predominantly white school or, or crowd, like that is, you know, the least of your problems to your parents. It's like, you know, I, it's like, you know, I, I love my parents, but it's not like they really had my, my, racial identity in the front of their mind when they were just trying to find like good schools for me and my siblings to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that is a little bit hard later in life because I'm like, oh man, like parents, like, you know, I wish I had sort of like really, you know, good ways or like solid ways to like develop myself as, you know, a, a good student and a Nigerian American, but also a black person in the United States. And, you know, and their response is sort of like, you know, well, Sorry, you're only like black person in your, in your like middle school classes or science classes or whatever, um, because you still have to achieve and be successful. And if that's what that takes, then you know it's kind of what that takes. But it's it's interesting because um, it just there's so many layers sometimes, and I think that uh, you know a lot of these layers you only get to start peeling back once you've gone through the more stressful um, experiences. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but just people remember, like Brandon said, we're not a monolith. 
Like my dad is in my life. Like families look different, but I have my mom and my dad in my life. I didn't grow mm-hmm. up with my father. Even if I did, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Learn those names. And I grew up in a house with a yard. So don't assume that you know about people. Like if you want to know about someone, ask them. Right. The baseline mm-hmm. of it is you learn how to pronounce their name. I have the easiest name in the world. <laughs> to other people, learn how to pronounce their name. That's the that's step one. Okay, I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> no apologizing allowed on this podcast. Hey, I like I like that rule. I like that rule. The only person who apologizes is me, and I'm working on it every day. Every You're doing day. great, babe. Thank you. Sorry, question. Oh. Could I say something too? Like Rupal, when you were talking earlier and you were saying like, "Oh, you speak so well," and like, like not you, you weren't saying this to me. Like you were just saying these are comments that have happened to you, and like other people have said it. And like I found myself thinking in these terms of like return to sender. I'm like, I can't do anything with that comment. So that's, right. that's going back to you. Sorry, didn't connect. So you need to think about that again and try again at a later time because I don't have time for this. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not like nine years old anymore. Like. Whew. That come in the back of my mind. <laughs> See, I never know what to do with that because sometimes yeah. I'm like, should, should I just let this one slide yeah. because it's like not worth the, the effort it would take to explain why you can't just say that to someone? Yeah. Or should I like actually have this discussion? And right. I, I never know what to do. Sometimes I like start that discussion with people and it's just like not, it's not going yeah. well. Yeah. No it's one's happy. It's yeah. To be honest, though, I, I feel like that, and I'm like, really? <laughs> I feel like that's the eternal struggle sometimes as a as a black person. It's like, mm-hmm. do you want to be gracious enough to explain, you know, the the problematic nature of a comment or you know, do you want to acknowledge that maybe you've had enough throughout your life and you're like, why would you say that? Like, I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, be sort of angry or like uh, try to work on myself to put that comment like out of my mind for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's difficult because I, you know, everybody on this call I can tell is a very, very sharp person. You know, we, we obviously have that drive to like improve the world around us, but there's always this balance of, you know, like self-preservation and self-care versus, you know, putting yourself out in the world mm-hmm. and bringing you know, your communities and your neighbors to um, to a greater um, level of understanding or like a more um, inclusive consciousness. Um, but it's, it's difficult. And um, I think microaggressions are an interesting topic because they kind of serve as like, like an exposed, exposing moment for, for people who have not necessarily committed themselves to an anti-racist like lifestyle or ideology. Um, of course, people flip up, but you know, if Somebody says something that's sort of like clearly socially like not kosher and acceptable, and you know they pretend like everything is okay or like the weird looky wake on your face is like totally fine, and you don't receive like any sort of like acknowledgement or apology in the next like you know day or two, then you know it for me is just sort of serves as like a signal of like okay these are the people who are around me who have or who have not committed themselves to you know, bettering themselves or, you know, living an anti-racist life. And, and yeah, I mean, I think, I, I will say, I think the current moment though is, you know, as, in, as unfortunate as it is the death of George Floyd and, um, 
and all these other, you know, unarmed black people across the United States, it is, I think collectively it is bringing, you know, the, the nation's mind to a greater understanding. Um, it's slow. There are some people in my life who I'm like, geez, like these ideas, you really should <laughs> like, you know, understanding maybe like a little bit earlier, um, because we're out in the world now, like you were either in college or working, like, you know, um, I sorry, I can't sort of believe like this is your first time maybe engaging with this idea, but either way, you know, as long as we all get smarter, get, you know, the, the more comfortable we are with dealing with these ideas, the better. And I'm happy, um, in whatever form that takes really. Um, but I think microaggressions are, have always been sort of like an interesting entry point to these types of conversations. Yeah, I'm gonna piggyback off of that. Like your point you just made, um, I agree with you. And like, the thing is like when people say certain things like ignorant comments or something to you, like the first thing that goes through my mind is like, if they meant it intentionally or if they just really did not understand what they just asked. Because you kind of right. have to think about it. Like people are taught microaggressions. These things are taught. And most of the time it's unconscious. Not saying, okay, for the races out there, I'm, I mean, obviously they know what they're doing. <laughs> that, they, know, they, know what, they know what they're doing. But I feel like most people think about it. Like this is spread over our entire system. Like most people stick with politics and the justice system, but think about it, it's in media movies, music. If you watch certain movies, like the way they depict black black people, African Americans and other minorities, it it's an unconscious reaction, but it's there. That's why a lot of people are upset about this kind of stuff because you're tired of it. But you know, people don't always know the direct way to talk about it. And then even with these protests, um, media for example, they don't always show things that they're like the best angle. So mm -hmm. I also think it's a matter of perception. If you really want people to understand like what we're going through, you know, it's also like a matter of perception because like if you just look on TikTok, Twitter or any other social media platform and see the videos that people are posting at these protests, you'll see that, you know, most the most of the people that are protesting aren't actually vandalizing those properties. It's mm -hmm. actually, you know, other people that aren't even a part of the movement doing it. But you don't see mm -hmm. that in the news. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's. It's like it's everywhere. It's, mm. We just need a whole clean out, whole right. clean out. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it really makes me wonder, like, if they meant it or not, because this thing it, it's it's so embedded in our system. You just have to wonder, like, is that something you were taught because you just don't understand, or did you just really mean that? So most of the time, I don't even know what to say. I just look at them and just like, okay, <laughs> have a nice day. Right. And like. Back to the protest thing, like, I I am so, so tired of people being like, but what about the riots and the looting and all the damage to property? I'm like, well, one, sure, that's not really, that's not really on us. That's not really, right. like, most yeah. protests are peaceful right. thing. And two, like, Black people have been getting the short end of the stick for, like, what, 400 years now? Like, yeah. I, I don't care. I don't care. Like burn down the entire country. I I yes. don't care. Like I <laughs> who cares? <laughs> I'm like this is not the thing we should be focusing on. Like who right. cares? Right. Like when mm -hmm. all this stuff was happening with like Target got looted or whatever. Right. Like, Crimea River. 
And the, the <laughs> was like, he put out a statement, was like, yeah. I have so much money, I I do not care. Right. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yep. This right. is yeah. not important yeah. in the slightest. Like, there are people dying. And that's that's the interesting thing yeah. to me. Like people are talking about destruction of property. I don't know if it's an American thing or right uh, or a white American thing to be so obsessed with property and versus the lives of people, like right. someone's life, and the people connected to that being destroyed. Like so, mm-hmm. I have my own theories about that comes from like black people being property at one point. I'm not going to get onto that <laughs> that particular <laughs> tangent, but like. <laughs> I'm just amazed that you were worried about this corporation that probably has insurance. Most people have insurance at this day and age. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? And again, it's not a monolith. Yeah. It's not all black people. They're just burning down stuff. It's a right. groups of people. Like it's a huge group of people. Right. And then final thought, what about when we have these series where people win? I'm not a sports person, sorry. But like, what if, you know, you <laughs> exactly. win a football game, exactly. you have, like, yep. like looting. Oh, they're looting, just riots. Yeah, burning yeah. down cars, climbing on street poles and like light light pictures and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. like but after. Yeah, it's just like one. LOL, the Patriots won. Isn't that hilarious? It's like no one cares. Or the, or the fact that some people are out there protesting a virus and nobody cared. But no like, cared. with guns, something that matters. That actually matters. That involves the lives of few, the lives of human beings. That's the issue. So I don't I don't understand that yeah. at all. First of all, it's a virus. It doesn't care. Right. Who you are. It just sees a host. So it's like, okay, Karen, you can get a haircut in two months. Like you'll live. Like, can we say Karen on this call? Like, <laughs> I think we can. Factual statements are factual statements. Karen's are out there. Yeah, Karen's are out there. They are out there. And if you're uncomfortable folks, listening, Karen is not a slur. It's Karen. Karen. <laughs> John Mulaney said, I mean, equating it to a racial slur, you can say one word, but not the other. So I feel right. like... Right. We're saying... Right, it. right. I feel like the one that you don't say is the worst word. <laughs> right, right. And if this is for all the non-Black people listening, you know, if you're uncomfortable with the concept of introspection and looking inward at your own racist ideology and ingrained internalized racism, then imagine how it feels to be a minority experiencing it every day. Your privilege allows you to separate yourself from the situation whenever you want. You can get off Instagram and stop looking at the posts. You can stop seeing articles of the protests and stop seeing all the people posting about reform. But but black people cannot stop being black. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I and wanted to add, yeah, add um, when you were talking about the protest and how they're burning stuff down, I remember the, the video that came out a few, like last week, mm-hmm. I think her name was like Kimberly Jones. Mm-hmm. And she was just saying that if for 400 years you had to play the game on behalf of someone else. Right. Yes. And then. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. It was a good video. And then mm-hmm. for, for like 60 years, you got to play. But still, whenever you were about to win, they took it away from you. Right. So you were about to win in Tulsa, they took it away. You were about to win in Rosewood, they took it away. And then when you finally are given all your pieces that are burnt and crispy and charred, and like, here are your pieces. Now you play and catch up. Right. And so she I'm- was like, I can give a F about all this stuff because none of us own this stuff. Like, none of us 
own this. None of us have given a, been given a chance to have this in our neighbor, have this. And most yeah. of the stuff that's in our, this is what I imply, like most of the stuff in our neighborhood is meant to like accelerate our, accelerate our, our health decline. Like where I live, where I live in Decatur, on the main thoroughfare, they're like two McDonald's on one street. So it's two McDonald's, a Krispy Kreme, a Dunkin' Donuts, a purchased chicken, a Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like one of the main strips. I'm like, where? And like, if I go, if I go, if I go to like downtown Decatur, I can get a Chipotle or a Gusto's or mm-hmm. something that's organic. But I cannot. If I want to buy <clears throat> in my house, I cannot get that. Mm-hmm. So that when she was talking about, we don't own any of this stuff. The stuff and the stuff that is here is not the best thing for us. So I, I, I would agree with that. Like if you're in Target, go in Target. Get that lamp you wanted that's on your wish list. <laughs> like get that mattress. Get, uh, people were people were in the home. I saw people leaving that Target with like baby mattresses, air like food. Um, air fryers, they had rugs and lamps. I'm like, if you need to do what you need to do, I, then you go do what you need to do, boo, and find it and decorate and be comfortable and be free. So, and mm-hmm. and then I have to say this, it's like, with, with black black people, if you have to walk out the door and worry about what kind of shit am I going to deal with today? Like, you can't just walk out your door and be like, I'm going to work. It's more of <laughs> Am I gonna have to do that today? Mm-hmm. So you've never had to walk out of your door and think about, okay, what kind of stuff am I? Do I have on my armor? What kind of shit am I gonna deflect today? Then great. Like if you've never had to worry about, oh, if, if I don't smile at Jonathan, I won't have to hear it in my review later. Like if you've never mm-hmm. had to worry about that, then maybe you need to listen to the people who are talking to you and not try to sweep it up under the rug. Just okay. listen yeah. and see, and go from I- there. That just reminds me, I hate as a professional when people tell you like, oh, you need to smile more because it'll make you more approachable. I'm like, what do you want from me? So it's not enough that I come in here and do a great job, but I have to like do like a, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm from the rural, like rural Georgia, like a little buck dance to make you feel happy like that, that you've invited this black man into your space. I have to make myself like, oh my God. seem like some caricature for you. Like, like, don't do that to people. Don't do it to women. Don't do it to people of color. Like, let people be mm-hmm. in their space because sometimes they're just sitting and having a day. Sometimes they might just be reflecting on their life. It's okay for people not to smile. Like, I don't know what this obsession is that people have to be happy all the freaking time. Like, to me, it just, I'm sorry. That just seems, oh, I said it again. That just seems ridiculous to me. So, no, when I someone you, uh, tells me uh, to smile, I just want to punch them in the face. Yes. That's all. Yes. <laughs> it's, no, I think. It's a big part and what we sort of been talking about earlier. It's this deflection piece. It's like right now we have these protests going on and they're all peaceful, but yet the media wants to cover riots and raids right. and all these other things, but yet not provide all the information for it. Because for people who don't want to focus on the systemic 400 year based issue, it's right. easy for them to see a quote unquote crime that they can immediately associate as a crime and focus on that mm-hmm. and not do what they need to be doing to actually push us away and actually get a systemic yeah. change. Same yeah. thing with just like the smile and the caricatures. Just it's it's easier for someone to deflect and dissociate themselves from somebody who potentially looks upset and who's doing that introspection if they just put on a fake smile and all of a sudden they don't have to deal with it. It's easy for other people to just carpet like carp 
I can't even say words right now. To put other people into a box that's, yeah. okay, that's a problem I don't have to deal with because they don't look upset or they are not in a particular mood or whatever. So it, like we're saying, with this, all the microaggression stuff, it just winds itself down. It's so intricately woven into our society that if we're not taking the time to recognize it now and challenge these different things that we have, we're not going to get anywhere. This even like deflected in our history classes. Like they barely touch on those things. There's and, so much history I want to know right. that I never got the opportunity to learn except through right. the internet. But yeah. here's the thing, like I had to take a class at Tech. It's a really good class. It's called African American History. And like in that class, I learned so many things like about incarceration, innocent people being put in jail, but they can't bail out because they don't have enough money. So they end up being in there full time. Um, I remember we watched a documentary and read a book about this kid in the Bronx. He was accused of a crime he didn't commit just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Went to jail, came back, committed suicide. So it's just. Oh, yeah. Cleve Crowder. Mm -hmm. that, that was recent, wasn't it? Well, this one was years ago, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot more cases. But more. I'm just Probably. saying, like, taking classes like that, like, I had to make a conscious choice to educate mm -hmm. myself more. Because, <laughs> yep. like, I remember she asked the whole class, she said, why did you guys take this class? We're like, and everyone's answer really was because they don't really cover, like, our history much when yeah, we take yeah. history classes. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's just some things that I would like to learn and educate myself about, especially, you know, dealing with certain discrimination or racism instances with certain people especially on campus and off campus but it's a shame yeah and that's that's a really good point and that's something i, I personally think about a lot yeah. um especially you know i just graduated from undergrad about a year ago but also i was in georgia tech's liberal arts college and so a lot of the time i felt like i was sort of taking this alternative approach to what a lot of my other you know engineer friends might have been learning and i was sort of always a little bit interested in why it felt like if I wanted to study like, you know, even just sort of like history, historical subjects, like why that would like almost automatically other myself and a lot of conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll leave that point because that's sort of like a Georgia Tech specific gripe. But I think the, the point that I'm trying to make is that I think a lot of progress could be made in, in racial discourse in our country if we decided what was you know, standard, quote unquote, as, as far as learning goes. And then, you know, what you have to go the extra mile for. I, I think a lot of the time, like, the people in these types of circles, our types, our, you know, conversation right now are, are dissatisfied with what they might have learned in college or school, because we decided for some reason, that like a good quality, you know, deep education and like the racial history of our country, for some reason, has to be for a postgrad or uh, sorry, a, um, an undergraduate education instead of a K through 12 education. Like for some reason, we've decided that you can only get those types of classes through electives instead of sort of like a standardized um, path that everybody has to take. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's one of those very quiet and like, you know, insidious ways um, that a racist ideology sort of seeps into our everyday. It's that like, okay, well you have to be like, you know, especially woke to take this class to decide like, to you just educate yourself as to, you know, the actual racial history of our country like no i think i think we really have to have a serious conversation about what we consider like mainstream education um if we want to see any sort of like you know actual improvement in in the mainstream or in like the um in the better part of society um 
you know, I think the same thing about civic education too. I, I think it's, I think it's weird that you have to like, you know, maybe wait until you've been into in the real world, like past the age of 18 or past college, to, like understand what certain uh, political offices actually do or what they're responsible for. Um, or what people in society or like what um, like policies or programs are responsible for carrying out. Um, you know, I think we have to have a really co real conversation about uh, the role that civics play in society and why people don't understand um, like how to interact with police or why their communities are over police um, and then be able to advocate for themselves later in life. Um, but I just wanted to pick off that previous point because I think, you know, the role of education and what we consider um, sort of standard versus alternative is um, a really important way to, to understand how we think about racism in, in our world. And kind of going off that whole thing about education, I feel like there's so many people that think that like the solution to racism or whatever is, you know, about like, oh, I don't see race Oof. in everything. And it's just, like, I feel like if you don't see race, like, what, is, what does that mean? Like, what am I to you? Am I just, am I the same as you, like, in every single way? Like, I mean, I want to be treated like white people are treated, sure. Like, I want to have all of those rights and privileges. But, like, at the end of the day, like, my experience, our experience is going to be very different from someone that doesn't look like us. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I feel like that's part of the education, understanding that, people from different backgrounds, people that look different, have different experiences, have different history. Right. And that's not something that we can just like ignore, brush away. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like it's something that we can embrace, you know, like right. there's, there's really cool things that happen in black culture. There's cool things that have happened in like Hispanic culture and Asian culture and everyone's culture. And it's like, can we just talk about it and mm -hmm. be cool about it mm. and not, Right. people for it but still acknowledge that those differences exist mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah somehow oh, sorry I just wanted to add that somehow along the way acknowledging different races became like racist in its own um, weird way and that is like the worst thing ever because it prevents any real conversation about um, the difference between races or the differences in uh, different races history um, but yeah we definitely need to get away from that but I, I was going to say, like, the, you know, this idea of being colorblind, it's, it's ridiculous. This isn't Black Mirror, and we don't have, like, a little block thing that comes up, and we don't see who we're interacting with. Come on, like, we're all human beings. Yes. We can see that we're different. Like, some people have blue eyes, some have green, some have brown. Like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to experience difference. Right. If you have questions about things, they're, you know, reading. Like, right now, I am you know, reading different things. I'm watching um, Rami on um, on Hulu. If you guys haven't watched it, it's pretty good. Oh, yeah. I don't, That's pretty good I don't know what it's like to be like an Egyptian Muslim American. Like, <laughs> so like, that was like, so, like oh, wow. Like, I never oh, even I considered never some of this some stuff that he's experiencing right now. 9-11 right was a totally different was a experience totally different for him. And like, I can watch that and not feel like a horrible person because Amer some Americans were treating him badly. So like Caucasian people, when folks say, I know whiteness is, the, this is the first time your race has become something that you're aware of. Hint, hint, that's a privilege. If you have the opportunity not to be conscious of your race and mm -hmm. your individual, um, you need to lean into that. You need to learn from that, okay? Like, why is it that you get to be an individual, but everybody else 
does not have that same opportunity. Right. Why is it that we have 400 years of oppression, but we want to skip past all that when we still have things in place that are a result of that history? So, like, right. slow it down. No one is, like, well, me personally, Brandon Lay is not out here trying to burn your house down. I can't speak for everybody else. <laughs> I just want yeah. to be able to go about my business in the world and not worry about getting, like, shot or, like, or getting hassled or even, like, with the microaggressions. Like, if you have a person of color say, like, Karen said this and I'm really bummed about it, don't tell that person, like, oh, are you sure that's what happened? I think they're pretty sure of what happened or what yeah. they're experiencing. Right. And that's it is you're asking for common respect and decency. If if you wouldn't wear, if you're wearing something and you wouldn't wear it to work proudly, then don't wear it. If you're if you wouldn't wear a headdress, if you're gonna wear a headdress in Coachella, are you gonna wear that thing to work? Do you know what it symbolizes? Then right. if you're not, then don't wear it. If you're gonna if I wanna wear my if, if I wanna wear my hair in braids and you wanna wear your hair in braids, are you gonna wear it to work? If so, then uh, like, let us do what we need to do to help ourselves. Right. Let me wear my hair. Let me wear my clothes, my shoes. And I, and that's just me as an American. But there are other cultures who would like to wear their things proudly without having to hear comments about it. Mm-hmm. And I know just for me, it's just like, don't comment because my hair is straight one day, curly the next day, and embrace the third day. That's just my prerogative. <laughs> and that's what I do for myself. So that is my just overall. It's very, it's very simple. It may be very naive, but if you're not going to wear it to work, and not, and it's not a costume party or whatever, and you have a major meeting, and you're not going to wear it, then don't wear it. Period. Don't do it. Don't use someone else's culture, heritage, or someone else's else's things that they take pride in, and use it as something to oppress people or make fun of people or to make others uncomfortable. Don't do that. Or like I used to like, oh, oh sorry. sorry. No, go, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I used to love Halloween, but now, like, every year I get, like, re- kind of low-key anxious because I'm like, what <laughs> yes. is about to come yes, out on social that? media? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, even what yep. you were saying, like, when they were expelling, like, it was in the news when they were expelling those kids from high school for, like, wearing braids to school. Like, mm-hmm. that was just nonsense. That didn't make any mm-hmm. sense to me right. at all. Or like, his hair for because they want he wanted to yeah. state championship. What does his hair have to okay? I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that, that was it. That was my, <laughs> I, I was just no. adding to that to that list you had. So. <laughs> you know, I saw I saw a compilation of this is ridiculous. I saw this compilation of a bunch of like Instagram influencers or whatever, and I guess they're so like narcissistic that they wanted to say something in support of Black Lives Matter, but they didn't like they had to be involved in it. So they did blackface and like posted a picture of themselves. And I was like, I like you know you don't have to like put your face in every single what? Oh. Oh my God. I looked at that and I was like, are you do you think you're helping? This is such a good segue into like performative allyship. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. yeah, that's yeah. worse than that. That's just black. Like I don't know. That's not even allyship. Like I don't know why you're doing black I mean, they seem you're detracting like from the conversation. Acting right. But this is something that's all like every year. Every year we have some person that decides, oh, well, let me dress up in blackface or whatever reason, and like they're like shocked when it doesn't go well. Come on now. Like. <laughs> 
Like how many people yeah. have to like get in trouble for doing blackface? How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? Old man? <laughs> <laughs> That was a SpongeBob reference for. Thank uh... you. I'm glad somebody did it. <laughs> no, I got it. Don't worry. <laughs> I understood. <laughs> anyway, it seems like we're definitely still on track here. <laughs> are we? Are we supposed to talk about allyship yeah. at some we, point? I mean, we can. Oh. We don't think there's rules here. Oh, okay. We, there are no rules here. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's my podcast, and I do what I want. <laughs> well, then can I ask to have the next point, ma'am? Yes. All right. If we're going to hop on the allyship, uh, if we're going to hop on the right. allyship, I think it is just absolutely imperative to, one, recognize that if you want to be right. a good ally, and being a good ally encompasses all the different races, all these different genders, so many different dis- different aspects of intersectionality for people's lives mm-hmm. that putting in the effort now to get a win for the many black communities over the U.S. and across the world is going to be imperative for setting up other identities for success later on. So if you're not taking action now, this, this is the key time to do such. Because you're like, if we get victories here, it's going to be easier to get victories in other places. Mm -hmm. But then also to the aspect of just sort of performative allyship, yes, recognize that, yes, using social media to sort of spread awareness and then send these like different snackable bits that a lot of different uh, like black content creators have already created um, just for other people to quickly educate themselves. Yes, do please share that, but we need more. It, it, Mm -hmm. like, one, do recognize sort of where you stand and where sort of your mental and emotional health are and whether or not you actually want to engage in protests, but there's donations you can do. There's actual mm-hmm. deep conversations you can have with people in your life that you know are a problem and Ooh. do engage in those conversations and Say don't just again. post. And then, <laughs> yeah, don't just post something on Instagram and hope that right. that's going to be enough. Right. I'm um, done. Exactly. Correct. It's, yeah. it's not done. It's not Right. Just to put it simply, an Instagram post doesn't make up for 400 years of injustice. It just simply does not. Yes, you yep. can say that I never owned slaves, but the fact is that there's systems in place that you would benefit from that we have to struggle right. against to even get to your point. I was like, I will never forget when my parents said, like, yeah, they, we named you Trevor, so if uh, you had a resume, somebody would see it and they wouldn't immediately think that you're black. Yeah. Hello, Brandon. Like, That's how I ended up with that. I was just like... <laughs> Oh, I don't no. know. Is is there a white person that was like, has that like your parent? Did your parents ever think about your name? Or was it like, we like the name Caitlin, so we're gonna add a bunch of N's and some Y's to it. Like I, I don't know. You just like, came after someone's child. It's just it's just right. a very different dynamic. We're just thinking about so many different things, and we need other people to use their voice, so we don't have to think about these yeah. things anymore. It's just right mm-hmm. crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, I. I. Yeah. I really, sorry to, um, now I was going to say, I, I think that's a really great take for allyship. I think I've been thinking a lot in the past couple of weeks about, you know, what allyship means. And, you know, as a black person, like what I would like to see white allies or non, non-black POC allies actually do. Um, I'm active on social media, so I, I do like the information sharing that's going on. I do like a lot of the, the donating that's going on. Um, but to be honest, I think that, the only thing that would really make me satisfied as far as allyship goes is if white people specifically 
um, had these conversations, these types of conversations as in-depth as we're going now with other white people. I think that's really the only way that we'll get to see the progress that we want to see because to be honest, you know, a lot of actions, they're not necessarily performative, like they're done with a lot of empathy in mind, mm -hmm. but if they're singular in, in nature or sort of just like one-off in nature, um, and you're not speaking to like the real ways that people change their minds or have conversations, um, then we're not going to go anywhere. So I think, you know, to the listeners, if you are white, then I, first of all, really commend you for, you know, maybe being friends with Drupal because she's awesome or listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, but, you know, what you really need to be doing is, is calling up your friends from college or church, your neighbor, or whatever, and saying, you know, I'd like to, I don't know, organize the conversation or talk more about race. Um, because until, you know, white people move their consciousness collectively toward one that um, understands where in society we fail black people and people of color. Um, and again, I mean, I'm talking about white people specifically, um, then we're not going to see the change that we really want to see. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think allyship, the conversation has, has progressed a lot in the past couple of weeks. Um, I've seen, you know, a lot of type, a lot of sentiment that I almost never thought I'd see. Um, like from white people, but um, the only way we'll actually make significant changes if people have those one-on-one -on -one conversations, face-to-face, -face, um, ideally, um, and change change some minds. Yeah, that's I'm awesome. To, kind of like I agree. I'm saying to like everyone also like that's listening. You know, post the protests and all that are great, but like at the same time, you need to vote. There's so many people that do not vote like the first election with trump there are a lot of people that did not vote and like i know like majority of like college students young people they don't really vote not not because like maybe some of them don't care but also i feel like they just don't understand the importance behind it there's and then like also i mean it just it, you don't have to do it just now but just like on a daily basis just do th little things that could like make make the system better. Put yourself in a position where you can make change. Mm -hmm. um, even with friendships, like get to know people that are that have come from different ethnic backgrounds or different nationalities. Get to know them. If you think about it, discrimination, racism isn't just here; it's all over the world. Mm -hmm. So many people in different countries deal with the same issues, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that you're bound to connect with someone on the same level because they've had some similar experience with you. So to everyone that's listening to this podcast, I would say, you know, it starts with the little things and big things too, but just like, you know, just everyday things, just get to know people, like be open-minded, try to hear them out, mm -hmm. you know, cause those are their experiences that they're telling you about and they're just looking for a way to be heard. So I feel like it's a two-way street. And just going off of that, I hope this doesn't sound crass. I don't mean it to, but, you know, white people, I know you feel bad. I know you feel guilty. Great. That doesn't help me. It <laughs> doesn't help black people. <laughs> what we need you to do True. is actually take True. that action. Like, it, like uh, so many people are saying here, it's not a sprint. It is a long distance run. Absolutely. Okay? Yes. You have to do little things. So it's great right. that people are donating. They're posting on social media. You need to you need to approach this from the stance of like, this is behavior that you have to unlearn. And so you're not going to unlearn right, something right, exactly. within a month or two months. Like mm -hmm. you need to come up with a plan of like, how can I do different things and incorporate it into your life? And, you know, 
it's funny, like, black people, we end up talking about diversity so much, because I guess because of our experience in America. Mm-hmm. But, like, we, we, you know, we also work on diversity. Like, so many people, like, I want you to appreciate that. So many of these young people have said they make mm-hmm. friends with people outside of their mm-hmm. own race right. and culture. Yeah. So that should be something you should go out. And, not, and don't jump on somebody and say, hey, you're black, I want to be your friend. Oh, right. but, <laughs> <laughs> that's a little creepy. <laughs> right. <laughs> But maybe you want to do some reading and like watch some things. If you meet somebody that you're cool and you guys have like a cool vibe, maybe you do a friend date or something like that. It doesn't have to be something artificial or like something you go out and acquire. So take care of yourself. Manage that guilt. Because again, it's not on us to make that go away. You have to figure out how to do that. Turn it into action. Yeah. And I, from my point of view, I've always said that allyship means advocacy. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be my ally, you're going to advocate. Um, that means you know me, you know what I, you know, you know me or you know, <laughs> you know if opportunities come up, you're there to provide, you're there to advocate. Like Rupal mentioned earlier, like s- someone knew she had a podcast, they sent it on and now her, now other people know about her podcast. So it's, it's all about be, if you're going to be my ally, be my advocate as well. And I, and vice versa, if you're, someone's ally be their advocate um because as an ally you don't know the whole situation you don't know the whole lived experience of a person you don't know the whole lived experience of a culture so if you have a large enough platform turn it over and let other people talk about that and with the caveat of them saying this is from my point of view but here is what i have experienced and here is what i would like to see maybe others would like to see that as well Mm-hmm. Also, to be an, av- an an ally too, it means to be to step back, to be quiet, to right. help maybe organize, mm-hmm. to maybe help, you know, help organize or teach something, some teach something to someone that you know that they don't have. So it's like, don't ambush someone. Like I'm your ally now, so I'm gonna throw all this at you. No, it's not about <laughs> ambushing either. It's about talking right. and realizing. Well, what do you want? What do you need? And then in turn, it's not just a one way street. Like if you advocate for someone, someone else, that same person can advocate for you right. because they know what you need well enough or they know what your aspirations are well enough to do that. So it's more than just posting a black thing, a black screen on your Instagram and then deleting it a week later. Everyone knows our new cycles, are, they, they are in chunks. So one week, yes, mm-hmm. it could be protest. Right. This week is we were all learning about the statues that have been thrown in wherever's. Next week, we're going to see all these things about the Republican, probably primary, and how the coronavirus is following Donald Trump around the world because it's trying to get him. But you know, <laughs> but, but but our but we know we live in cycles, and as every pretty much everyone said, these cycles are going to last longer than what the news portrays. Right. So just because you don't hear about it doesn't mean it's not going on. Yep. So don't think that, oh, we're done. Is racism done? Are we done? Yay, <laughs> no, we did it. Yeah. We still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not how that's not how this works. And for for my and for black people, people of color, step up. You know what your neighborhoods have looked like for years, for decades, for generations. If you know you can make a change and you have the experience, start running from some of these offices that have incumbents that you know don't serve the future of your communities. So prepare mm-hmm. yourself. So if you are going to do this, don't sit back and wait for someone to pull you up. No, you build yourself up so right. they can meet you where you are and go for what you need. So this this 
this nation isn't run isn't run by one particular thing. If you know what you see is not what you want, find the group that helps you, and also make partnerships. You can't Please. do stuff on your own, right? Yeah. And I know even hearing like I, just the people, different people that I follow, the different news stories that I read. There are some people who are very out there and they're ready to push everything and burn everything down. But you have to realize if you want to go somewhere, you need support. Right. So you need mm -hmm. to build bridges to those things that you don't understand. Have different people in your circle that helps you to say, this is what this is what this group wants. So you can't bash what came before you because it didn't look like because the end results didn't look like what you wanted. Use that as leverage to jump off to somewhere else. So what we have in front of us is what we have. Use it as a springboard to spring you to the next level. But make sure you're springing enough people with you that you have that support. All right. Thank you, Nicole. I, I think this is a pretty good natural conclusion to this conversation, although this conversation should never end right. and people should consistently educate. But we have hit the hour-long mark. And I promised you guys all of your afternoon activities could stay intact. <laughs> I'll take your car to dealership now. Yeah, I'm not saying you need some attention. <laughs> but, but absolutely, I'd like to echo and conclude with the comments that, first of all, if you're listening and you are a non-Black person of color or a white person, learn from these conversations and to educate yourself and take the steps. There are so many resources out there and so many platforms have turned into platforms for activism and change. Instagram, Twitter, um, not really Facebook. Facebook is still gross. Um, <laughs> yeah. TikTok even. It's, I mean, you just have to seek those out and you have to be prepared to put in the work and feel uncomfortable. You will feel all the feelings of guilt and shame and discomfort but that is nothing compared to how minorities have felt all these years and it's never going to compare to the feelings that black people have felt through generations so you have to learn to lean into that and learn from that and let it motivate you to be an advocate and it's not just enough to be an advocate in your um personal safe social bubbles where people think like you you have to advocate in spaces mm -hmm. where you know they don't think like you because you have to change those minds. Yeah. It's, exactly. It's what, if, what if, who is going to learn any more information from me if my 300 Instagram followers, I have more, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I have like 300 people following me and they all think like me and talk like me and have the same educational background, they're not going to gain anything incremental from me posting resources. Mm -hmm. But you never know where those social bubbles overlap mm -hmm. and who you're going to reach. Yeah. And that's why I really wanted to do this episode is because I'm going to use my inherent privilege. I, I accept and I know that I have it. And it is that privilege that is going to make me and is going to help me share the voices that need to be heard. And that's why that is how you be a good advocate is you know you infiltrate the spaces you know don't want to hear what you have to say and you say it because it's safe for you to say it and they're going to listen to you and that's how you speak up so that's what i tell all of my non-black peers is you know if you're really struggling for next steps 
there are lots of lists out there. Lots of anti-racist works you can read, ways to get educated. It's not enough to just dislike racism. You have to be anti-racist and you have to put in the effort. But being a good ally means not doing it for the social clout and not, not stopping after posting one black square, which frankly does nothing for the movements. A lot of black people have said that the black square pushes down the information and the hashtags that people actually need to see. But did you learn that? Did you go out there and try to find that information for yourself? Probably not. And, you know, I, I'm guilty of that. I saw the squares and I was like, oh, my God, if I don't post it, will people view me as not supportive? Mm-hmm. If I do post it, will people view me as not educated? And at the end of the day, you have to just listen to the voices around you and listen to the people that are saying those important things and accept that you were wrong. Mm-hmm. There are so many people I saw who posted um, black squares on Instagram and then deleted them with explanations saying, here's what you should actually be doing. Donate, mm-hmm. subscribe, share, you know, and also open your wallets. Mm, open, your open, your <laughs> open your purse. Open your purse. Don't be shy. Get it more. Your open your purse. Use those companies that are matching donations. Donate, collect, share. Like you have, we're all in quarantine. I'm not spending any money on rent anymore. Where's that going to go? It is such a privilege for me to even be at home and think about where I can, like, put my money where my mouth is, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's something we all have to realize. And if you're going to do a good job, you have to lean into that ideal that you have to be a vocal anti-racist person is just no longer enough. Silence is not no longer an option. But any parting comments before I wrap this baby up? Um, I think it would be cool. Sorry, you can go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say real quick, like I've spoken to you know non-black people who feel like, you know, they've had people say that their allyship is, like, too much or not enough. And, like, that shouldn't be the driving factor on whether or not you're an ally. Like, just, you got to do what you got to do. Like, keep pushing forward. No matter what you do, somebody's going to have something to say about it. So you might as well be a great ally and have the people that are mad at you being the racist people rather than being, you know, silent, and then having the people who are mad at you being people that just want the same respect that everyone else gets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was, I was actually going to say that I think it would be maybe uh, a cool way to end if we went around and maybe shared some, some books or podcasts or articles that we might have um, read in the past couple weeks or past couple months that... Um, that you think would be good for, for listeners to hear about, um, or just the eight of us to, to be aware of. Um, so I will go first. Um, this month, actually, I read the book White Fragility, um, mm-hmm. which was interesting because I think it's, it's a book that pushes the conversation forward in a very healthy way because it's written um, by a white person who um, has been doing diversity, inclusion, and anti-racist work for an entire career. Um, it's written from her to white people. Um, so the voice is sort of like within within that circle. Um, so reading it as a, you know, as a black person, person of color was interesting to see, you know, the ideas that white people need to accept in order to be anti-racist. 
Um, but that's a really great book. Um, and I'm really glad I read it. Mm. My grandmother uh, has been, she was just asking me just for, I guess if there's also just other black POCs listening, just um, sort of like some of the points we touched previously that I also think would be a good read for other people. Um, the mis- It's called The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter mm-hmm. B. Woodson. Um, she was rereading that, but just sort of goes into the piece of how sort of intertwined and ingrained some of these systemic issues are. And being able to sort of read that and reflect on it and see, maybe take the time to introspect and see how you've seen that in your life would also be maybe a good starting point for you to move forward and how to be a better ally or just be more educated on sort of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a post on LinkedIn um, by someone I'm connected with and she made a really good point. She basically uh, said like everyone isn't meant to be out in the streets. Mm-hmm. So like, I know a lot of people like don't protest because they're concerned about their safety and their health, which is completely valid. Mm-hmm. But like, there are so many ways that you could infiltrate and help out. Like kind of mm-hmm. like what we were all talking about before, like something as simple as making new friends um, or yep. something as simple as going out to vote that like votes is what's going to make this even uh, e- change even bigger because unfortunately we ha- there's a lot of power in politics. Um, another thing is like even at colleges and universities, like, um, find a way to make a more inclusive environment, not just for black people, but other minorities that don't feel included or feel underrepresented. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a very good point. Like not everyone's meant to be in one place at the same time. There's so many aspects, so many um, places you could be, media, music, anywhere that you could like push for that change because it's going to take some time. But if you have people in all each and every one of those areas, they'll drive, it, uh, drive, cha- drive for more change quicker as well. I know for me, um, the things, the thing that I've read before that really was really interesting is when black women go from office pet to office threat. Ooh. That was a yeah. an article back in January on Medium.com, and let's see if I pulled it up. And her, the author's name is Erica with the K Stallings. So that is one. Also on my watch list now is um, the the documentary by. Ava DuVernay, uh, 13th, mm-hmm. about the 13th mm-hmm. Amendment. So that's mm-hmm. on my, and also now on my reading list is Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Y. Davis. So oh, okay, is- Angela Davis. <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> big time. And, and, I, and I, the things that I remember, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick it up again, um, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Oh, that's I good. I reading that when I was younger, and that, and I'm gonna try to find that again on my bookshelf and read that again. But also, as, as people mentioned, like if you want to assist, it doesn't it ha- doesn't have to be out in the streets. Mm-hmm. You assist in ways that you that you know right now, and your circle can grow as you get to know more people. And definitely these commission hearings. So these commission hearings about police budget, about mm-hmm. how other budgets yes. are mm-hmm. allocated in your city. Mm-hmm. Definitely get on the get on the radar of those for these commissions that are supposed to be. Um, Supposed to, to to be the 
the people that police other things like get on those committee hearings too they're all most of them are probably now on zoom or whatever like start listening in on those and see how your tax dollars are spent in your community or how they aren't spent in your community mm -hmm. so be as informed right. as you can there is such thing as information overload so take your time read up on it but don't ignore it right mm -hmm. exactly and I guess just follow Nicole, like she said, like, take your time, digest this. Like, I, I, I think I've been saying this repeatedly. This is not going to just go away. Right. So, you know, don't even as a black person, I have to and I, I had to learn this as I got older. I had to disengage sometimes mm -hmm. and just like do some self-care. Yeah. So I'm not. So you, you do a little self-care, but you come back. So you don't just yeah. go away. But you come back. <laughs> Uh, and if you're looking for some things to read, uh, The Invisible Man was really cool for me reading as a kid uh, by uh, Ralph Ellison. Really good. Um, anything by James Baldwin or um, Aju Lord. Uh, great examples of intersectionality. And like a lot of their works are still very current to t today. If you're a business person, since I'm in the College of Business, uh, the Harvard Business Review has been putting out lots of great articles about how U.S. companies can support people of color during COVID-19. So check that one out. I read a really great article about um, self-awareness. Um, so and this can this is applicable to anybody, whether you're a person of color or not. Um, it can help you figure out where you are and how you feel about things and helping you to do some self-reflection. I think that's one of the big things that we really need to work on as Americans is be more reflective about the actions and how we, uh, we navigate this world because we're not going to change hearts by just yelling at each other. We're going to do it by mm -hmm. relationships. So. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Relationships yeah. and um, one of my favorite resources I've seen is like one of those compilations. Um, it's blacklivesmatter.carrd.co. And it just has like a bajillion like places you can donate if you have money to donate, different petitions you can sign, different like things that you should be speaking with like your local government about different books to read um so anytime anyone's asked me anything about like what should i do i just like send them that link and then i'm like all right cool i'm tired of talking about this but you can read this <laughs> instead um and then someone shared something like an article with me that like really captured everything I was feeling. It's from Medium and it's titled Maintaining Professionalism in the Age of Black Death is a lot. And I was like, wow, yeah, I really, I really feel that right now. Cause like I'm very new to the workforce and like this is my first job. And I've been like having such a hard time just trying to like be quote unquote normal while I'm at the office. And it's just like right. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm like, d does anyone see what's happening right now? Do we all see yeah. what's happening? We're just going to like go to work. So yeah. if anyone feels like they don't understand what it's like to just like watch all of this happen, I encourage you to read that so you can kind of understand what some of us are going through, just kind of watching the stuff happen. Anyone else? And I would say um, I've been very, very big just in regards to the political aspect, um, making sure not only that we vote, um, that you dive a little deeper and you actually know what's and who is on the ballot, what you're voting about, what type mm -hmm. of that you are voting about, because 
I know for me, the first time I voted, I, I guess at like 18, I had no clue about um, half the people on there. Um, right. Writing, you know, primaries or what have you. So, um, uh, and knowing that you can go to like general assemblies in your state and um, you can actually attend those, or I'm sure at this point, they'll have Zoom um, meetings or things of that nature. So really, um, I, I feel knowledge is power and um, just kind of educating yourself on how you can um, help enact certain changes if you're not protesting and you're not doing those types of things, how you can do it in a different uh, aspect or different way. So um, just really kind of doing a little research. Again, that does take time. Um, I, I can say I spent two or three hours um, researching um, candidates and their stances upon different issues and things um, that we're voting upon. But I think two to three hours is nothing in comparison to a lifetime of you know, other things. So. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thank you, Sharon, everybody. Really appreciated that. I yeah. started compiling those resources for myself. Thank you. Thank you for that IO. I that was really awesome. That was a great idea. Anyone else? I have one. Um there's a really there's a book I have on my list called Algorithms of Oppression. And it's about how negative biases against women and people of color um, affect search engine results and algorithms, um, creating and maintaining racism and bias on the internet, which I think is really relevant today with how information is spread and disseminated and how we consume everything through what we search and how that can affect the way we view things. So that's something on my list as well. Who was the author? Um, Sophia Noble. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So... With that, I think I think we're good. I think that was a really great, insightful, gracious conversation and definitely has given people a lot to think about and research and actionable resources at the end. Um, so thank you all for sharing. And there you have it. If you want to reach out and have any questions, please let me know. Um, to all of you listening, uh, really happy you guys are here i'm always here for you here to share here to spread and as always thank you for joining me this week on listen make sure if you want to learn more um see these people's beautiful faces on instagram um my handle is at listen with roops where i'll be putting this on social media as well thank you so much again stay safe in the times of covid19 um keep being Keep being allies, keep being vocal, um, and have a wonderful rest of your week. <laughs>